We're continuing in our series through the book of Genesis. This week is quite a long text. It's chapter 42 and chapter 43, which is why it's not printed in your booklets because it would be 20 pages longer than usual. So uh, I'm going to read it through. Uh, we'll be making uh, less uh, verse-by-verse work through the, the sermon as a result. So I encourage you, you're welcome to read with me, but I'd also encourage you to try and uh, listen to this as a, as a story uh, being read to you, God's word, this narrative from Genesis chapter 42 and 43. So here now, God's word. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we are your servants, 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. 
And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At, their heart, at this, their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know you are not spies but honest men and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All of this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now, the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will not send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety from my hand. You shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send you back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph.
When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have bought it again with us and we have bought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, And said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling him, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because... The Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we once again thank you that you are not a God who is silent, but a God who speaks to us through your word. And so as we come to this portion in the story of the life of Joseph, this recording of history of your your great deeds of a providence that you've been directing and caring for the covenant line of promise, pray that our faith would be strengthened as we look upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has brought peace to us and made an end of all our sins. So help us to see and understand the the gospel as it's proclaimed to us in Genesis this day. And we ask for this help by the Spirit and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if we think about how a peace bringer or someone who might be called a, a prince of peace would go about establishing peace in his kingdom... We might think that rough speech would be out of place. But as we will see a bit later, consider our Lord Jesus in the Gospels. Quite often, even though we know his mission was one as a a man of peace, 
that he spoke quite roughly with those that he encountered. And we see this in the way that Joseph interacts with his brothers. So today we're going to see why Joseph has dealt with his brothers in the way that he has. What, what purpose is he out to accomplish? And what purpose is God accomplishing through Joseph? Uh, overall, in the narrative of Genesis, God has put his, the, the fathers of Israel through a number of tests in different circumstances. And now we come to really what is one of the peaks of the book of Genesis, where God is testing through Joseph and refining the covenant family once again. In this last section of Joseph's life, essentially God uses famine as a form of purifying agent. And in this, the flames of this purification are really intensified by Joseph's treatment of his brothers. And that takes place over the next four chapters or so. We're looking at two today, but it, it's, it's quite a long test. Now, the overall shape of this two chapters, this um, section of text is quite interesting because it takes place between two geographic locations, Canaan and Egypt. These are, you can think of them as poles of the brothers' own making because of their sin. Uh, Joseph, in the course of this, these two chapters, his dreams are fulfilled. And following these chapters, Judah rises to leadership and the family becomes reconciled. So ultimately, as we will see today and over the next couple of chapters, God's purpose is that in the very sin that was brought against, committed against Joseph, that this will be used to save the covenant line from famine and bring them into Egypt. That the covenant family will be brought into Egypt ahead of the exodus where they will enter the promised land. So all of this is a very significant preparation of the covenant family. Uh, Genesis, as we know, is, is history. It's God's working providentially. And in that way, we will see that despite the fact that the New Testament never makes a direct connection between Christ and Joseph, we will see that Joseph acts as a Christ-like figure in God's providential work here. So we begin with Joseph's dream coming true. And the famine arrives. So they were desperate and they go down to Egypt to buy grain. Notice that Benjamin is left behind. Why? Once again, uh, Jacob's uh, special love for Rachel's children, because of his special love for Rachel, is in action. And the fact that he won't let Benjamin go down with the brothers is going to form part of the test for the brother's attitude, the remaining brother, other ten brothers' attitude towards a Benjamin in, in the test that Joseph sets up. Now, the author keeps telling us multiple times, three times, that the brothers don't know who Joseph is, but Joseph knows who the brothers are. Now, in order to experience this story most richly, I'm going to have to ask you to Forget what you know about how this story ends uh, and just think about, as, an, as a narrator, what's being constructed here. The incredible 
gap in knowledge between the brothers and Joseph that they've they've arrived and Joseph's dreams are being fulfilled right now. He's being vindicated in his dream. But the brothers have no idea that that's what's happening. It's incredible piece of of irony. And it's this dis- disparity in uh, in information that allows Joseph to bring about this this test that he does. So it begins in verse 6 by saying that now Joseph was the governor over the land. Well, we know that from the last few chapters, but it's being restated to highlight how he has been exalted. And this uh, in chapter in verse 37, the conflict started right then when the brothers said, will you indeed rule over us? And now that's come to fulfillment and he is indeed about to rule over them. It is around 20 years later after that dream that this moment takes place. The question we need to be asking going into this, and it's clearly Joseph's question in his mind, have the brothers repented during these 20 years? Have they told their father what they did? Have they shown remorse? Do they, do they care if they came across Joseph? Would they be sorry or would they be still jealous and angry? These are the things that he would be wondering and from the narrator's perspective wants us to wonder going in. Now, they have, as we will come to see, lived 20 years in unrepentance. 20 years without confessing their sin. But if you go right back to the top of the text here, they say that, They must go down to Egypt in order that they may get grain and live and not die. So for them, their great need right now is that they go and get grain so that they don't starve to death. But we're going to see how Joseph is not only concerned with their need for food, but their need for forgiveness, their need for repentance and he goes about bringing that about through this, this test. So how does he begin? Well, verse 7 and 8, he acts really quite harshly with them. He, of course, knows the answer of who they are and where they're from. And he knows that they're not spies. But he lays this charge. You are spies. Now, the irony of this is that the brothers had considered him like a spy for his father Jacob. As part of what stirred their jealousy. Yeah, he's been sent to keep an eye on us out in, the, out in the fields and to report back to our father. And it was Joseph that they treated roughly and threw into the, 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 the well. And they say, no, no, no. We're not spies. We are honest men. Now, the irony of that is, is ringing. Now, it's true that they're being honest that they're not spies, But it is certainly not true, it's a wonderful ringing irony, that they are not honest men at all. They have not come clean. They've lied to their father for 20 years. They've lied to themselves for 20 years. But he presses them further and uh, he sets up a test. He wonders what the state of his covenant family is, his, his father and his other brother, and he wants to know, but if you were in his position and you know what your brothers are like, how can you know that you can trust what they're saying? 
Joseph is now a supreme ruler over the affairs in, in Egypt. He can't just take three weeks of leave uh, to go up and, and visit and check on his father. He has to rely on the word of his brothers. And so he wants to test their trustworthiness. But more than this, he also can't just simply reveal who he is now because he needs his other brother and his father to, to come down to Egypt. Now, whether or not this is all in his mind versus how God is ordering this providentially, that, that the text doesn't tell us. But we know that this is what has to happen. They all have to come down to, to the land of, of Egypt to be under his rule and protection. Well, so he takes them and puts them in, in, arrests them, puts them in custody for three days, gives them as a, a well-known police technique. He let people stew uh, and talk amongst themselves until something comes bubbling up. And he brings them out. And now instead of saying, okay, I'm going to keep the majority of you and one of you is going to go and get your brother, he changes it around and he says, okay, I'm going to keep uh, one of you and the rest of you can go and take lots of of grain up um, to to your father and so on. But you need to get your younger brother, the youngest brother, so that your words can be shown to be true. So his test for whether they are honest men is whether they're going to go back and bring the brother down like they have said that they will do. Now, after he says this, the brothers then say to one another, now remember they're speaking to each other in their language, and they think that Joseph can't understand him because he's an Egyptian and he has an interpreter who's he's speaking. Then the interpreter speaking to the brothers in their own language. So they think Joseph can't understand. And what do they say? In truth. So honesty finally starting to crop up. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And they mean Joseph. Uh, in that we saw the distress of his soul. And when he begged us, we did not listen. Now, that is why this distress of being jailed and then one of us having to remain and then go there and fetch our brother and upset our father. This, this is happening to us as, as a result, direct result of them not heeding his, uh, Benjamin, uh, Joseph's cries for mercy. And so Reuben told you so this is basically what Reuben says uh, if he really was such a great guy he wouldn't have let them get away with it uh, so this is kind of a, a false sense of, of honor but he, he says you did not listen so now there comes a reckoning for blood so justice is finally being done and they begin to recognize this now Joseph hears this they don't realize but Joseph hears this now, to him, this is the first sign of an acknowledgement that what they did was wrong. And so this causes him to weep. Why? Because his instinct to reconcile is now at you know, full rush, but he knows he can't trust them yet. Yes, this is the beginnings of stirrings of, of some repentance, but this is not enough. And so he has, to, he, has to, he has to weep and deal with his emotions and then come back and make sure that he can fulfill the rest of his plan. So he returns to them, having wiped his eyes, and, uh, and takes Simeon from them, binds him, and then sends them on their way. Sacks full of grain. Oh, 
in verse 18, this is something that you need to pay very careful attention to because they, they came down so that they may live and not die. But what does Joseph say to them in verse 18? Do this and you will live. Uh, it's not so much about the grain that he's talking about. It's do what Joseph is saying and they will live. Pass this test and they will live. Go and get that favorite son. Uh, they had trafficked Joseph for money and they never went to go and get him. So what has Joseph done? He's reverse engineered the same situation. Why? Because now will they abandon Simeon with their sacks full of money heading back to their father? Just like they abandoned Joseph with their sacks full of money heading back to their father after selling him into slavery? Well, what's the best way to see if a person is truly changed? See if they act the same way in the same situation. And that's what he's cunningly done. Well, Joseph wants to know, since they have the money, will they repent? So by imprisoning Simeon, this is not an act of revenge. This is just part of him setting up the, the, the test. But more interestingly as well is the fact that he uses these words, do this and live. Where in near future will these words be spoken again? Exactly. In Exodus, where Moses uh, gives the law to the people as God's representative, and he says, do this and live. This is essentially shorthand for the law that will come later. Uh, the man who does these things will live by them. That's the part of the formula of the law. Now, that gets picked up in Galatians, right? Cursed is the one who does not do all of these things continuously. Uh, these men have been given essentially a standard that they can't meet, a shadow of the law which is to come, a, a forecast, a foretaste of Sinai. So the issue is they will not know their sin unless the law is put before them. How do we know this? Well, Paul says the very thing, same thing of himself in Romans chapter 7. He said, how would I have known the sinfulness of covetousness if the law had not said, do not covet. So essentially, this is the reason why people don't like hearing God's law. Because it reveals sinfulness to people. Because anyone who hears God's law and says, well, yes, that's fine. That's what I do, is a liar and has deceived themselves. But anyone who hears God's law and actually hears it and can accurately evaluate themselves against it, does not like it because they are shown to have fallen short of the glory of God. This offense of the law is something that in prototype, Joseph is creating for his brothers to stir repentance in their hearts. And that's what it does because in verse 20, we see the first cracks of admission of guilt. The weight sinks in. Blood is required for us, a reckoning for the blood that we shed by selling him off into slavery, essentially. And that's what God does with his law. He holds a mirror to us. And what do we see in there? We see our past sins reflected to us. 
with the very purpose that we would repent and reconcile to God and to our neighbors. And now through this, the story of Simeon is connected to Joseph. They realize we're getting done to us what we had done to Joseph. This sorrow now is starting to show signs of being a godly sorrow. Not just a, well, we are sad the consequences are coming up for this. That's called worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow is a sorrow for what you have done. And you can tell that's them because they're saying, because we ignored his cries for mercy. Now this is being required of us. A reckoning has coming, has come. And that's what God's law does. He, he presses on the, on the nerve of guilt. That the zap of that awakens us to the need to repent and receive forgiveness. That's kind of the language that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Why? Because when they heard the word and God's law, they were filled with godly sorrow that led them to turn from their sins and to turn towards Christ. Isn't, isn't that an amazing thing? As you think about what has happened in your own life as believers and as those who are unbelievers listening, to realize what is available to you. Think of that word. Eagerness to clear yourselves, that by godly sorrow, that by repentance and trust in Christ, you can be cleared in legally before God and in your conscience of the sin that you've committed, no matter what it is. And that is the situation that Joseph is putting his brothers in now through this test. And Jesus, we see this, does this all the time in the Gospels. He was seemingly quite often rough, but why? He was eliciting a response, either repentance or repugnance. People would either respond by softening and confessing their sins and crying for forgiveness and mercy, or they would be hardened in their sin and rebellion. Just think of the the lawyer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus asks him, he says, well, what what is the law? And he gives him the summary of the law and he says, do this and you will live. Very same words that Joseph utters here, Jesus will later utter in bringing about repentance. And for this reason, you won't like every sermon that you hear because in it, as God's word is rightly preached, Christ is confronting you directly for your sin. And at the same time, offering out uh, the forgiveness of sins for those who repent and who trust in him. It's why you won't like every conversation with a Christian brother and sister who comes to you and brings a a complaint and says, listen, you've you've done this thing and you've hurt me or you've hurt this person. And God's, God's law says to do this. Well, you need to lean into those moments 
Uh, and, and here that God's, God's law inf- inflicts a wound in order that healing may come. And that the heart who is filled with worldly sorrow will turn away. So if you ever catch yourself turning away from instruction from God's word or his word through his people, then remember this, that worldly sorrow leads to death. But godly sorrow produces life and clearing. Well, Joseph is a, really a forebearer of this function of the law here for his brothers. Uh, and he, again, it's too soon to assume repentance. So he extends this test and sends the brothers on their way. Well, they get home and they, dis- well, on the way home, they discover that money has been put in the sacks and they begin to worry. Uh-oh. They've done this so that they can prove that we are spies. And then they get home and, and tell their father, uh, and then they see the, the sacks are all full of all the money, and they begin to be very afraid because they are now stuck, caught between a rock and a hard place. We need to go get our brother, but if we do, we're also going to get accused of, uh, of stealing, and we're going to be thrown into jail, and we're going to be made slaves, and they're going to take our donkeys and all of that. So... They are uh, caught between a rock and a hard place and really rather scared. But Jacob is, is so terrified of losing his second son through Rachel that he says, well, no, you can't take him. Benjamin's going to stay. Yet for him, in his mind, the promise was going to come through one of these two sons and 50% of his hope is gone in his mind because Joseph is dead. So for him, he's thinking the only way this is, could be done for the promise to come is through Benjamin. And so he won't let him go. But it's amazing what an empty stomach can do to the will of a man because about what's close to a year later, they run out of food again. And, and they're compelled to go down to Egypt to get grain. But Judah now for the first time, steps into a bit of a leadership position and he does a much better job than, uh, than his brother Reuben because Reuben had said to his father, oh, well, if I, if I fail in collecting Simeon, then you can kill my two children. It's not really the wisest words. The father who's worried about losing one and losing the second is now, well, you can, we'll just knock off two more from the family. You know? Judas is much more widely, he says, take my life as surety. That you can require my life of me. If it's on my head if I, if I don't bring back the, the boy safely. And eventually the father capitulates because he realizes the ruler in Egypt is not going to accept anything else other than the youngest brother coming as proof that they are not spies. So he permits them, but he says, okay, you need to take double the money so that you can prove you weren't thieves. And, and take a, a series of gifts to placate this leader when you go and meet with this powerful ruler. If you, maybe you've noticed, but the detail of this is really interesting because the list of what is in here, a present of a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Where have we heard this in recent history in Genesis? That is the, the spice and produce load that the Egyptians were carrying when they sold Joseph into slavery. 
So we're seeing another brother going down with the same set of items to, towards Egypt. And from a story perspective, we're thinking, is the same fate going to happen to Simeon, uh, to Benjamin, as he, as he now goes down to, to Egypt? What, what will happen to him? Will he become a slave or a prisoner or die or, or what? Well, the father, having realized that there's just no other option, he just he says he gives him a blessing. He says, "May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may He send back your father, uh, your, send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved." Now, this is a little bit of an odd thing. I mean, it's certainly right. So his only hope is to offer a, a, a blessing and say, "May the Lord protect you." But it's almost like a resignation to possible loss. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. It's that rather different faith to that of the first patriarch, Abraham, right? who, in thinking of Isaac having to be made a sacrifice, he didn't just simply think, well, if he dies, he dies. He, he trusted that the Lord would cause him to live. It's not quite... The same case with, the, with Jacob's approach here. But yet at least he, he calls upon the name of the Lord to protect his sons. Now the sons head down uh, to Egypt and suddenly they're standing again before Joseph. And he said to the steward of the house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me. So what does he do? He, he organizes a feast. But the brothers, on the other hand, think they're being invited to his house to be enslaved into prison, probably beaten, and have their, their donkeys uh, seized, and that they would become servants. He says that he, he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants. So they went up, and the first thing they do is they open their mouths and like, we didn't steal, we didn't steal, we, we don't know how the money got in there, and, and uh, we, we, we just came home, and we, we found it there, so, so we bought it back, like, don't... We don't know who did this to us. And into their fear, what, is, what does Joseph do? He speaks a word of peace. He says, peace be to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father put the money back. I took it, but God gave it back to you. Isn't this quite extraordinary? They were violent to him, and yet he gives them a message of peace. And attributes it as a blessing of God. And this little scene then, when they come to have this meal, what's the first thing that happened? They bring the present for him and they bowed down to him, to the ground. So low that their, their faces are earthward. And what does he say? Is your father well? the old man of whom you spoke. He can now trust this information that by asking how his father is, he knows that he's going to get the right answer. And they said, no, he's well, he's alive. And they bowed their heads again and prostrated themselves. Again, fulfilling this dream. And then Joseph sees Benjamin. And he gives what you could understand to be almost like a prototype of the ironic blessing God be gracious to you, my son. And, and his response to this in its further connection, he's seen his beloved younger brother 
And so he, it says that his heart, the compassion of his heart grew warm for his brother. So he sought a place to weep. Compassion warming is Jacob, uh, is, is that really the, the blessing that Jacob had spoken, that, that things would go well, that God would show mercy. And mercy and compassion is exactly what's stirring up in Joseph's heart uh, towards them. Uh, so essentially, all, all seems rather well in the way that Joseph has received uh, his brothers. But at the meal, the brothers realize something interesting has happened. They've been ordered from oldest to youngest. They were seated from the firstborn uh, to, the, to the youngest. Uh, if, if, if you were those brothers and you look down there and you're like, wait, we're exactly in age order. Are you going to either think, well, firstly, Joseph knows much more than he's letting on, whoever this man is. Or maybe he's using powers of divination or maybe he had spies in Canaan or something like that. But uh, this is certainly something odd and, and uncomfortable. But their easiness, uh, uneasiness subsides because it's, it says that they, they drank and were merry, <laughs> so became intoxicated uh, with, with their brother Benjamin at the meal. But what's happening in this meal? Well, at the meal, Benjamin, even though being the youngest, was highly favored. He received five times more food than the others. This special treatment is another test. How would Joseph's watching? How would the brothers respond to their younger brother being given the special treatment? Well, earlier he tested their consciences, and now he's testing whether they'd be jealous of these gifts that he was giving Benjamin. And this is an, this is an important test, because in the household of faith, there is no room for jealousy. And that's part of what I mentioned earlier in God's purification of the covenant family. There can't be jealousy and envy and hatred, which leads to murder, uh, as, as we've seen multiple times in, in Genesis. But these things do not belong in, in God's family. Each person should be thankful for what they have and should celebrate that the Lord sees fit to give more to some than, than to others. And this acceptance and celebration of, other, of God's distribution of his gifts is, is one of the chief symbols of unity in God's household. And unity has been clearly what God in his redemptive work in Genesis has been after that. By the, by the Holy Spirit, he has been unifying and strengthening and establishing the line through which the promise will come. And so this is a very important thing that Joseph tests and sees that there is a unity and no jealousy amongst his brothers, a form of confirmation that things have changed. So in Joseph, we see this powerful ruler, the ruler of this covenant family, essentially. He's been promoted to this dispenser of not just physical life through food, but that he is now working by the, by the Spirit in them spiritually as well to do this and live. Not eat this and live, 
but repent, essentially, and live. And this is all by the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. This man, Joseph, who was left for dead, trafficked, abandoned, what does he do to those who committed that, that very crime or crimes? He invites them into his house. Now, who of you would do that to the person that you have hated the most in your life? Would you invite them in, feed them good food, and welcome them and speak a word of peace and tell them not to be afraid? Would you show them that kind of love? Well, that's what Christ does. That is Christianity. That he loves the guilty and the unlovable. Jesus knows very much what Joseph experienced in that his own family delivered him up and over to death. Right? What does it say in John? He came to his own possession and his own people did not receive him. Instead, they rejected him and sold him uh, on to death. He, was, he himself was sold for, for silver. But what happens when he dies? Well, the people who handed him over then went and ate the Passover meal. How sick is that? To eat a meal over the death and betrayal of the person who was sent to save you. Well, that's what Joseph's brothers did as well. They went then and, and ate a meal. Sick. But when Jesus rose from the dead on that third day... And he entered a room full of doubt and fear. What did he do? Chastise and rebuke and condemn? No, he spoke. The very first thing he said is peace to you. Do not be afraid. And he ate with them. He ate a meal with them. A meal of uh, forgiveness, presence with them. And that is, what, so we see this type of Christ in, in Joseph. And so when we look now at the New Testament, and we, we, we can understand that, as Brendan mentioned earlier in the Catechism, each week, ordinarily, or every second week, whatever it is that, that we have the Lord's Supper, He sups with us, dines with us in a meal of forgiveness, where we as those who... Uh, would happily have sold Christ had we been there. But we who had sinned against him and blasphemed against him, uh, we are the people who he has, has uh, held the law up to so that we may repent, confess our sins and trust in Christ. And then he invites us and speaks a word of peace. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Now they were midway through testing but we have had our lord jesus who endured full testing so we are not midway through a test of god authenticating our faith but our faith in christ has its full merit because jesus has been tested he was delivered up on our behalf so that you may always have the peace of god with you and need not to be afraid. 
And as you look around to your brothers and sisters, see that exactly what God was doing by the power of the Spirit in this covenant community, He, through Christ, has brought to uh, to fulfillment because you are all united to Him in one Spirit such that there is unity and there is peace and there is love by the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and all because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So blessed be His name which is above all names forever. Amen. Let's pray. What good news it is indeed, Lord, that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead um, on our behalf. And so that through seeing his life and death and resurrection, we can turn back facing history and see the panorama of your redemptive grace, even uh, as it's in prototypical form early here in the, in, the, in the patriarchs. And we see that through Joseph, what he was doing in the lives of his family and amongst his brothers, Lord Jesus has done finally uh, forever amongst us who are brothers and sisters in our one Lord Jesus Christ. So what more can we do then to praise you and say, may that unity continue by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may experience peace and joy and love by that same Spirit who is working from then until now and who will reign with you forever, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.